Hello, my name is Anna Rina and I lead a connect group here at HTBB. But today, it is truly my joy and privilege to be able to share with you. And I want to speak to you today about joy. What sparks your joy? If you're familiar with the KonMari method of tidying up your household, you will know that whether an item stays or goes in your house all hangs on that one question. That one question that all the hoarders of the world dread. Does this spark joy? <laughs> and I love some of the responses that people had to this method. One lady tweeted, If I threw away everything in my kitchen that didn't bring me joy, all I'd have left is a corkscrew and an ice cream scoop. <laughs> As it turns out, the term to spark joy in Marie Kondo's book is simply a loose translation of the Japanese word tokimiku, which literally means to flutter, to throb, to palpitate, or to beat fast, as your heart would when it feels excited. Sounds a bit like falling in love, right? <laughs> but I think it's quite an accurate way of describing what joy feels like. Well, at least I think it's a more exciting definition than the dictionary definition of joy. That is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Joy is such a wonderful experience and there is something palpable and tangible about joy and we can't get enough of it in our lives. And thankfully, the Bible has lots to say about joy too, which means God has a lot to say about joy. Do we know that God is full of joy? I wonder what expression you imagine on God's face when you think of Him. Is it one of kindness, sadness, anger? Or is he happy? And maybe today you're questioning that God is full of joy. Maybe you're in a season right now that feels devoid of joy and you're just going from one task on your to-do list to another. Or maybe you feel like you're in a dark tunnel with no end in sight. Well, if that's you, I want to encourage you today that God is full of joy and he takes joy very seriously. The Apostle Paul certainly knew this. Somewhere between AD 60 to 62, he sat in a prison, took out his ink pen, I presume, and wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, and sometime before, Paul had shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And they received it so well, so well that they started to support Paul in his mission to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. It's a very short letter. And unlike the other letters that Paul wrote to the other churches in the region, this one was different. There wasn't much rebuke or correction, no pleading for repentance. This one was simply full of gratitude and tenderness from Paul to these people. It is the happiest, chirpiest letter that Paul had written. Much like how it would sound if Pastor Miles wrote a letter to us, HTBB Church. It would simply say, I am so happy. I am so grateful for you. Thank you. And I love you. Right, Miles? <laughs> Some scholars call this letter to the Philippians the epistle of joy. Expressions of joy and rejoicing appear 16 times in just four short chapters. And one of them is found in chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What a bold, radical command. 
coming from a man who was in chains in prison. Now that itself tells us that this joy that he speaks of is a different kind of joy than what you and I understand it to be. Joy, the way the world perceives it, is circumstantial. It is fleeting. It comes and it goes. It's the never-ending pursuit of happiness. And we as humans have gotten very good at finding many ways of making ourselves happy. So we live from one little stab of pleasure to the next. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not against happiness. Not at all. They are glimpses and shadows of divine joy. But what did Paul know about joy that enabled him to rejoice in spite of his chains? The answer is not in what Paul knew, but in who he knew. See, Paul says to rejoice, not in what has or has not happened to you, not in what you have or what you're doing, but to rejoice in the Lord. You see, there's a difference between knowing that joy is a gift that God gives His children and knowing that God Himself is joy unto us. 38 times in this letter, Paul refers to Jesus. The Bible points to Jesus as our joy. And though there are many things that can make us happy in this life, Jesus offers the real thing. But when we think of Jesus and His life on earth, we'd easily say He was holy, righteous, compassionate, merciful. He loved deeply. He was full of wisdom. He was strong and He endured the cross. So to say that this Jesus was the source of all joy probably feels at odds with the picture that we have of Jesus, broken and hanging on the cross. But joy in Jesus is supernatural. It makes no sense at all, and it has no reason apart from Jesus. And we were made for this kind of joy. The cry of our hearts, whether we acknowledge it or not, has always been to know this joy. And here's the good news. Joy is and has always been God's will for you. If you're taking notes, this is my first point for today. Joy is God's will for you. In another letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says the same thing. Rejoice always, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I love what the prophet Isaiah said about the coming of Jesus about 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 to 3 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And then at the end of this passage, Isaiah tells us how this will happen. And this is really important for us to grasp. He says in verse 7, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, long before we were born, God had already made plans for joy in our lives. Jesus is God's plan for joy in your life. The reason Paul confidently says rejoice in the Lord always is because in Christ, God has made it possible for us to rejoice always and again and again and again. God is not taunting us with the command to rejoice. He's not dangling something that is unattainable. You see, when God puts something in His Word, in His Scripture, it is because it is His will for us. And God's will for us is something He actively sets out to accomplish. So, the good news is it's not on you or me to strive to work this joy out for ourselves. 
God wants to do it for us and He is more than able to. The zeal of the Lord will do it. The question is, do you believe that joy is God's will for you? That joy is your inheritance in Jesus. The thing about an inheritance is, if you don't claim it, you will never have it. I can will something to you all I want, black and white, on paper, but if you don't come forward, claim it and receive it, you will never actually enjoy it. So how then? How do we have this supernatural joy? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. And if you want joy, you must get close or even into the thing that has them. See, Jesus is the very source of joy. And if you want it, you need to get close to Jesus. You need to get into Jesus. In John 15, verse 10 to 11, Jesus tells us, Keep my commands so you will remain in my love, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In the person of Jesus is the completeness of joy that all of creation could ever possibly attain from beginning to end, an ever-flowing source of pure, unshakable, deep, abiding joy for every soul. And by His Holy Spirit, this same joy dwells in our hearts and grows every day as we remain in Him. Now, this means that there is no limit to this joy. And this is my second point for today, that in Jesus, you can have joy unlimited. Think about the first act or the first sign that Jesus did that revealed Himself as the Son of God. The Gospel of John tells us it was at a wedding in Cana where Jesus turned six stone jars of water into wine. And not just any wine, premium fine wine. Each of these jars had about 20 to 30 gallons of water. So that's about 180 gallons of wine, which is approximately 800 bottles of wine. Jesus is the God who pumps in 800 bottles of wine near the end of a wedding just so everyone could continue celebrating. Now, please know that this is not Jesus trying to get everyone at the wedding drunk on, the we on wine. The Bible is very clear that drunkenness is not permitted and it is wise to exercise self-control in this area. But the picture we have here of Jesus at the wedding in Cana is one of overflowing joy. All through scripture, wine is often a symbol or a picture of joy and gladness. See, Jesus could have just made enough wine to ensure the hosts of the party were not put to shame, just enough to last the banquet. But Jesus does not give joy sparingly. He is abundantly joyful and He sees no reason to give joy measured to our need. He always gives more. The first sign that Jesus gives of God's kingdom here on earth is a sign of abundant joy. Do you see now that joy is heaven's first order of business? And that's why he tells us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this means that joy is not only reserved for us when we get to heaven. And here's the next thing we see about joy today, that the joy that Jesus gives can exist in the here and now, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Sometimes as Christians, we find it easier to just, you know, rain check our joy for when Jesus comes back because that's somehow easier than facing the disappointment of things not turning out the way we want them to. I know I, for one, am guilty of this. 
And one of the most pertinent questions almost every human will ask in this life is, why is there suffering? You may have seen difficult things happen to people you love and wondered why bad things happen to good people. Perhaps you are experiencing some form of suffering right now and joy just doesn't seem like a natural response at the moment. And different people have different answers to the question of suffering. But the Christian faith tells us that suffering was never part of God's original plan for us. Suffering entered the world through the sin of man. And ever since then, God has been on a continuous mission to redeem and restore all that has gone upside down with this world. Because of God, our suffering is not for nothing. He uses it for His purposes of glory in our lives. And do you know that death was never part of God's plan for His people? The first thing that Jesus conquered on the cross was victory over death when He resurrected to life again. And that's why we live in the sure hope of resurrection life. Our bodies may wear and tear and pass away, but Jesus promises us that we will be more alive than ever in eternity with Him. In Revelation 21, Jesus promises that He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And even Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider our present sufferings nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us on that day. Now, all this is absolutely true. As Christians, we live with great expectation of a glorious eternity with Jesus and God has every intention of fulfilling that for us when that day comes. But I believe that in Jesus, we can have this joy this side of eternity too, right here and right now. Though we may only be able to experience it in part here, Jesus gives us joy to the fullest that it can be here on this earth. At the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, the great lion Aslan looks at the children and says, you do not yet look as happy as I mean you to be. And this is how God looks at you and me. We are not yet as happy as he means us to be. And he wants to change that. So while we are still here on earth and suffering is inevitable, what does the God of joy offer to us? In Luke 4 verse 18, we read how Jesus announces his mission on earth in public for the first time by affirming the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is what Jesus came to fulfill on earth. And we know that this is what he achieved for us on the cross. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was for joy that Jesus bore the cross so that we can receive his blood-bought joy in the midst of whatever it is that we are going through. Now, I may not know the things that you have lost, and what suffering has caused you in your life. But Jesus does. 
And I don't know of any other God who can say, Here, let's trade. Give me your pain. Take my joy instead. Only Jesus has paid the price. The God of joy who knows all our pains by heart draws near to the brokenhearted. He wraps himself around us and he sits with us in our anguish. And he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. I know your pain. And he waits patiently till we're ready for heart surgery and he binds up our wounds and he keeps doing it over and over again, however long it takes. And he keeps whispering, give me your ashes, give me your pain. I love what the missionary Elizabeth Elliot, who together with her three-year-old daughter, spent two years in the jungles of Ecuador, sharing the love of Jesus with the Waudani tribe, the very tribe that had speared her husband Jim Elliot to death when he first attempted to make contact with them five years before. And she said, everything that you give to Jesus is your gateway to joy. Everything. Even your pain, your suffering, your discontentment, Jesus knows what to do with it. And all through the Psalms, the psalmist sings about how God turns his sorrow around. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. God longs to hear these songs from His people. So rest assured, He will not stop working His joy in you and through you. But sometimes we lack the patience for the unfolding of God's plans through our pain. Now, if you are in a season of sorrow and joy has not yet broken through or is only slowly seeping through the cracks, can I encourage you to stay in Jesus a little longer? Your strength to overcome whatever it is that life throws at you is directly proportional to your joy in the Lord. Stay with Jesus and let Him finish His glorious work in you. Now, perhaps for some of us, it's not so much pain or suffering that threatens to steal our joy, but perhaps it's just the mundane drudgery of life, the daily grind. Perhaps you have lost a sense of awe and wonder of the simple joys in life like waking up to another sunrise. And instead of declaring, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Our senses are dulled by the repetition of life. The same faces, same places, same job, same house, same car, same spouse. Now, if you want to know the joy of repetition, all you have to do is look at a child. When a child finds something that excites him, he will say, do it again, over and over and over again. My three-year-old nephew loves it when his father picks him up and pretends as if he's on an airplane going round and round before slowly landing. And every time his father does it, the squeals of my nephew gets louder and louder. <laughs> See, the adult gets bored and tired of playing the same game, but the child's delight grows more and more with each repetition. And perhaps this is why God wants us to be childlike. Childlike, but not childish. See, God himself never tires of repetition. Revelation 4 says, Day and night, the heavenly creatures never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God never gets tired of the same song. G.K. <laughs> Chesterton once said, 
It is possible that God says to the sun every morning, do it again, and to the moon every evening, do it again. Somehow when we grow up, we lose our wonder, but the God of joy has the eternal appetite of an infant. And He wants to restore that simple joy within us too. The simple joy of just being with Jesus every day of our lives. God is in the details and He doesn't miss a thing. He cares about it all and He doesn't want us to miss not even an ounce of joy that He has prepared for us. Because joy is not only when God does the great and grand things He does in our lives, it is in the everyday unspoken miracles in life. The air we breathe, the coffee we sip, the joy of holding the hand of your loved one, no matter how many times you've held them. Do you know it's never too late for Jesus to show up in your marriage with 800 bottles of wine? If you have found that somewhere along the way you've lost the wonder of His presence in your day-to-day, you can ask Him to open your eyes again to the wonder of His face. Whatever His joy touches, it will be like seeing it for the first time, wide-eyed and mystified. He is the God who makes all things new. So look at your Heavenly Father today and like a child, ask Him to do it again. So will you trust Jesus with your joy today? He is the God who created your inmost being and He knows exactly how to make you happy. Will you let the zeal of the Lord accomplish His will for joy in your life? And if you want this joy today, all you have to do is receive it from the source who gives freely and generously. He is waiting to break through. Stay close to Jesus, get into Jesus, and you will know unspeakable joy, whether in the midst of pain and suffering or simply in the day-to-day. And no matter what your life looks like right now or how it will turn out to be, know that joy is your portion in Jesus and Jesus has the final say. So rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Amen. Right now, let's just invite the Holy Spirit and we'll pray that simple ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. God of joy, we wait on you today and we ask, O Father, that you would break through, O Father, with your light into our hearts right now. God, I ask, O Father, that whatever it is that we're facing right now, Lord, that you give us your supernatural joy and that we will know your tangible presence around us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, O Father, that joy is our inheritance in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, let's worship together.